Please be seated. Man, this has been a great morning already. It's fifth Sunday, and fifth Sundays have always been special here at Lamar Avenue because we eat together. And immediately following our assembly this morning, everyone is encouraged to go out uh, to the outreach building and enjoy a Slotsky sandwich together and more importantly, desserts have been provided. And if you are our guest today, we would love to share that meal with you. And Daryl Bulls will pay for yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> well, you can go guess. You can go right through the line, and uh, we will share uh, in that meal together. And uh, after we have eaten a little bit and everybody's finished, I think we'll do some more singing, and then we'll be dismissed for uh, the rest of the day. We started a new tradition this morning with Fifth Sundays. Our adult classes were dismissed here into the auditorium, and Kyle and Stephen uh, taught us some new songs. And church, you did so well that Kyle led two of those new songs during worship. Imagine that. I'm really thankful it was you this morning and not Stephen, because Stephen led one. We'd all been out of gas. Uh, <laughs> That, that one song, but I'm anxious to sing that again. We, we may need to provide those little energy drinks to everybody before we sing that song, but uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, to learn some new songs and immediately incorporate those uh, into our worship. Uh, Daryl, Stephen, and, and Kyle and I owe uh, DJ an email response, and we're all were waiting until after this morning to respond to him. He was just wanting to know how things had been, and this was really kind of DJ's suggestion, and so I thought it went really well, and appreciate uh, Stephen and Kyle doing that, and I really appreciate Kim Hanley back in the control room. She, she needs an energy drink, too, I'm sure, trying to keep up with all those slides, but we certainly appreciate uh, Kim uh, helping us out uh, with that this morning. And uh, Chris Hudson, thank you. Where did you go, Chris? Thank you very much for the prayer uh, that you led. Well thought out and, and very well delivered. We appreciate uh, that uh, this morning. Men, Tuesday morning, the second men's breakfast of the year. And I am told that only 16 of us have signed up so far. So please sign up so we can adequately prepare for uh, the appropriate number. I think back in September we had uh, around 40, so uh, guys, let's sign up and enjoy uh, an hour of eating and fellowship together. Uh, Stephen Gerald will be leading us in a devotional thought. So guys, sign up. Welcome Center, 7 o'clock uh, Tuesday morning. And at least one day this week, we can get off to a great start, right? By coming together and uh, sharing uh, breakfast together. I've titled uh, this lesson this morning, Not I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Like I said, Kim's work 
It's on there somewhere, Kim. <laughs> oh, well. Who needs PowerPoint? I, I was telling uh, Jared a story I was at a previous congregation that will remain uh, unnamed at this point. We were using PowerPoint, and it kind of got got to a, a situation where I felt like my sermons were being based on how cool the PowerPoint was. And if I twirled the words in or if I included, you know, sliding in from the left or sliding in from the right, and I finally said, okay, we're doing without PowerPoint for a while. You know, we can, we can still go to heaven and not use PowerPoint, right? But anyway, thank you, Kim. Here we go. I titled uh, this, this sermon this morning, The Drama of Discipleship, for two reasons based on the two primary words, drama and discipleship. We have been discussing uh, an aspect of connect with God, which of course is a part of our uh, vision statement. We've been talking about making disciples, and in order to make disciples, we must be a disciple. But I went back through and looked at some of my notes, and I don't think in, in any of those lessons I have actually used the word discipleship. Well, it's an, it's an interesting word, and it kind of fits with the text we want to study uh, this morning. But the way I understand it, the word ship is added to the end of disciple to give it the meaning the state of or contained in. And so the word discipleship would mean the state of being a disciple. It is a situation where we contain ourselves or place ourselves. And so the term implies the sense of a journey or even a process. And we have discussed that, that being a disciple, becoming a disciple, there is a process uh, involved. And so this, this word discipleship is the idea really of, of becoming rather than just being declared a disciple. And the little word ship that is attached to disciple, uh, well, our, our text this morning involves a boat. So it's only appropriate that we use the word uh, discipleship. The second word is drama, right? There is a genre of movies that are known as dramas. And this word means an episode that can be turbulent or highly emotional. And so again, the text that we're going to study this morning not only does it involve a little ship, a boat, but it is highly emotional for one disciple. I'm speaking, of course, of Peter. So if you have your New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, and I, I chose a smaller New Testament this morning because I don't have enough room on that pulpit and now I have the big pulpit. I could have brought my regular-sized Bible, but maybe I'll do that next week. But turn to Luke chapter 5. And in verses 1 through 11, we have uh, Luke's account or a story uh, that, that Luke shares with us in which, again, Peter answers the call from Jesus to disciple, the call of discipleship. 
Now, if you were here last week, you might remember we studied Matthew chapter 4. And Matthew's account of not only Peter being called, but also his brother Andrew, as well as his fishing partners, James and John. Now, it might be that this is kind of an intensified look of the Matthew 4 account, or this could be a completely different episode. Again, a part of a, a process. All right? And as bad as we might want to put the four Gospels together and have everything line up just exactly right chronologically, you can't do it. All right? And so really it's not even necessary and it becomes even a little, a little fruit, uh, futile. So this appears to be Luke's kind of intensified account, if you will, of Peter finally and fully accepting Jesus' call to be a disciple. Let's read the text. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. I would love to do that sometime. That sounds so cool to me. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long and have caught nothing, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to both sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. So let's go back and and look at uh, the text. And I think this story kind of easily divides itself into two episodes, if you will. Uh, The first episode is, is Peter's initial response to Jesus after having fished all night. Jesus tells him to go back out onto the lake and throw the nets out again. And then the second uh, episode is then Peter's second response after this miraculous uh, catch of fish. Let me suggest four things that are involved in Peter's initial response. First of all, he reciprocates a favor, or he returns a favor to Jesus. Now, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, again, in, in Luke's account... Uh, Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter 
before he extends this call to discipleship. So there's already uh, a familiarity there between Peter and Jesus. And in fact, uh, Peter has, has been, and his family have been blessed by Jesus' presence in the fact that Jesus has healed his mother-in-law of this, of this fever. We also read about that in, in Matthew chapter 8. And so Jesus, with, with this crowd pressing upon him as he's trying to teach uh, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, uh, he sees an opportunity here uh, to enhance the teaching. And so he asks Peter this favor and Peter reciprocates. All right? He returns this favor. The second response we see is, is a reminder. Okay? Now, this morning, this, I usually read from the NIV, but this little smaller New Testament's from the uh, New Revised Standard Version. And uh, it translates a, a word where Peter refers to Jesus as master. Okay? Might be better translated as teacher. And it seems to me, based on, again, and we'll, we'll see a little more of Peter's response here in, in, in just a moment, there, there seems to be a little sarcasm embedded within Peter's initial response. And he's reminding Jesus, hey, you're a teacher. All right? Now think about how Jesus has been known to this point in his life the son of Jer uh, Joseph and Mary, a carpenter by trade, now turned itinerant teacher or preacher. Right. Jesus didn't start out that way. Lori likes to tell people she married a banker. She didn't marry a preacher, right. which is the truth. And I switched careers, and that was okay. I had her blessing. That's, that's fine. But here Jesus... As carpenter first, tradesman, craftsman, now teacher, telling this professional fisherman to go back out onto the lake. And Peter, to me, seems to be reminding Jesus, you're, you're not a, f a fisherman, you're a teacher. Okay? So then there's this third response, kind of a mild protest, if you will. Right? He, he says, listen, we've been out all night fishing. Right? Number of ways to catch fish. Three or four different variety of nets that first century fishermen could use. Uh, one net was a very large net in which they used at night. Certain times of the year fish would be pushed up towards the bank and they would get out in their boats and throw out with partners these huge Nets, And so they've been fishing all night. Now they've returned to the shore. They're mending and cleaning and preparing their nets for the next evening. And Jesus tells Peter to go back out. And so he's protesting a little bit. Again, I, I can't help but think Peter is thinking, all right, you healed my mother-in-law. You're, you're a pretty good teacher. But when it comes to fishing, you know, you come ask me the questions, Right? So th there's, there's this protest. Right? But then finally, there, there is a concession. And Peter says, okay, at your word, right? J just because you're, you, you say it, 
I'm going to honor what you say, and I'm going to go back out and put out the nets. Now, if you notice, in verse 1 of this account, it said the people had gathered around Jesus to hear the word of God. And so already, at a very early point in his public ministry, the authority of Jesus' teaching was being equated with it being the Word of God. They sensed something new, something fresh, if you will. And so this may also be plain in the back of of Peter's mind. You know, he may have been a carpenter. He may be uh, a teacher. He may be speaking uh, the Word of God. I'm still a fisherman, but you know, he tells me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And so again, we're going to see kind of a process that Peter works through in answering this call to discipleship. So here's the second response of Peter after he has caught this miraculous catch of fish so large that the nets begin to break. First of all, there is a realization on Peter's part. It says... He brings the nets up, and the New Revised Standard says he saw it. Again, one thing to maybe rid his mother-in-law of a fever, and a second thing as a non-fisherman to provide this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter sees it. He beholds it. He recognizes something has happened here. And there is this realization beginning to come to Peter's mind, this is no ordinary teacher. So secondly, there is then humility. He falls at the feet of Jesus. Because of this great catch of fish, because of this great miracle, he, he humbles himself. And he realizes that he is in the presence of deity. And it's very very interesting to me to see this this move, if you will, or this transition that Peter begins to make about what he thinks about Jesus. He moves from teacher to then Lord, a completely different word. A word that normally was reserved only for God, or maybe in the secular world, Caesar. And yet this is the word upon this realization that Peter declares who Jesus is. No longer just teacher, now he is Lord. And this leads Peter to confession. To confession. And so again, when you compare the first response... Uh, first responses to his second responses, this movement, this process, this journey, again, of discipleship. The word Christology is is a, a theological term. It's devoted to answering two primary questions about Jesus. So when when you think Christology... 
which literally means a word about Jesus or, or a study about the Christ, a study about Jesus, you're looking to answer two questions. And the first question is, who is he? And, and we're dealing with the identity of Jesus. All right? and, and to me, the most powerful thing that occurs in this story and, and, and the point of discipleship, if you will, that, that really I, I think Luke is trying to emphasize is, again, this transition from who Jesus is for Peter. Not just teacher, but now Lord. He, he has identified him with, with being a good teacher and maybe even some kind of a miracle worker of sorts. But now he has become convinced. And we're going to see a, a, a very powerful act of commitment here in, in just a moment. As he then becomes Lord of Peter's life. Right. The second question has to do with what did he do? And the question, this question has to do what kind of impact will Jesus have upon our lives? Right? And the impact is determined by who we think Jesus is. So, so if we identify Jesus as only a good teacher, a good moral example, then his impact upon us will just be that. We'll take what we like, follow as we want, but if he is Lord, then the impact is completely different. We're, we would be willing, as Peter did, to leave everything behind and to follow him. Some of you will be familiar with C.S. Lewis. Any C.S. Lewis fans out here? Of course. Uh, Lewis was, was a former atheist, uh, British scholar, uh, became convinced in the existence of God and Jesus as, as the Son of God, has written a number of, of apologetic-type uh, books, very powerful writer. And he's pretty famous for this quote right here. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. There have been those who have, have condensed Lewis' statement to say either Jesus was a lunatic, a liar, 
or he's Lord. And so we're back to question one. Who is he? Who, who is he to you? Every, every person makes that decision by either rejecting Jesus as the Son of God or accepting him as the Son of God and declaring him to be Lord of your life. Which then brings us to the second question. What did Jesus do? And what kind of impact will that have upon our life? And that's the final question this morning. What kind of impact has Jesus had upon your life? Who is he? Have you confessed him as the Son of God? Have you declared him to be the Lord of your life? Have you been immersed in his name for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you now pledge your allegiance and loyalty to him as your Lord and Savior? And if so, what kind of impact has that made upon your life? Kyle's going to lead us in one more song. We refer to it as the invitation song. It's not my invitation. It's not Kyle's invitation. It's the Lord himself's invitation. And he's asking us to come. He's asking us to follow him. Have you decided to follow Jesus today? Won't you come while we stand and sing?